Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm extraordinarily excited for today's episode with Dr. Terry Walls. I met Dr. Walls at the Institute for Functional Medicine. Uh, I had seen her TED Talk and was blown away. She literally moved from being bound to a wheelchair with progressive MS, uh, which is theoretically incurable, to walking uh, and then to riding a bike through diet and lifestyle. She cured herself. And this episode is so powerful because it goes to the power of conviction and the possibility of food as medicine. And I'm so excited to share the insights uh, garnered through uh, Dr. Walls's findings and research, as well as the protocol that she implemented to really take her life to the next level and help others do the same. I also want to turn you on to a series that is premiering on April 3rd called Broken Brain. It's chock full of profound information. Um, My last guest, Dr. Mark Hyman, is hosting. Uh, Dr. Terry Walls is in the series. It's a series that I gifted to my mom, um, and she was totally moved by it. Uh, As many of you know, my father, unfortunately, uh, has dementia. And so the information has been so powerful for my life. Um, As you may not know, many of the symptoms of cognitive decline appear 30 years uh, before the first noticeable symptoms. So they onset way before we actually know it. So it's really about taking your diet and lifestyle to the next level now. And it's a tool uh, that we can use to support not only our own health, but the health of our loved ones, our community. So highly recommend that you register. It's a free docu-series. There's over 70 experts um, with incredible knowledge. Uh, I'm going to be watching. It's one of the coolest docu-series I've seen. Uh, Go ahead and register. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. And you can go ahead and click that link to register. It starts April 3rd. If you're listening to this after April 3rd, you can still link in the show notes uh, for the next round whenever they release. So I hope you're doing really well. Uh, I can't wait to share this information with you. I think it can change your life. I can tell you that it has changed mine. With that, I want to shout out a couple products that are helping me as I transform my my health and wellness. Um, Four Sigmatic is my go-to coffee. It's organic. It's infused with lion's mane. Lion's mane was actually traditionally used by monks to enhance their cognition. And it is an incredible coffee. Organic, uh, I don't know if many of you know, but conventional coffee is often laden with mold and mycotoxins. And so the caliber of your coffee is important if, like me, you love to drink it every day. And so Four Sigmatic is my go-to. They also make these incredible packets that I take when I'm traveling so that I can keep up with uh, my, my quality caffeine. Um, and I love their focus shots, actually. My afternoon uh, routine when I'm starting to have that post-lunch lull is to do their focus shots, which is basically a natural kind of energy booster, which is lion's mane and caffeine. Really, really love Four Sigmatic. Uh, check them out, www.foursigmatic.com backslash peak for 15% off. 
And also check out Organifi. I just got some new Organifi in the mail today. They uh, sent me their liver detox, which I'm incredibly excited to try. Uh, liver obviously um, is an incredible organ, which we oftentimes take for granted uh, with some of the toxins we put into our system. So looking forward to uh, cleaning that out. I just did a, a huge protocol at, at the Upgrade Labs uh, from cryotherapy, and I'm really going to use April as a month to uh, take my health to the next level. And I'm really looking forward to using Organifi's uh, Complete Protein uh, as my go-to source of protein as well as their BDNF lemonade, uh, which is brain-derived neurotropic factor. Um, as you'll find with this episode with Dr. Terry Walls, uh, our brains are precious, and what we put into our system has profound implications on our health and wellness. So I can't wait to share the episode with you. Uh, give Organifi a look. It's www.organifi.com, and if you put in Peak Mind at checkout, you'll get 20% off. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Terry Walls. I'm here with Dr. Terry Walls at the Institute for Functional Medicine. Dr. Walls, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I discovered your work uh, via the TED Talk you did um, when I was researching my father. As I mentioned to you, we we met yesterday, and uh, I had the good fortune of joining you for dinner, and... um, I had seen your work um, specifically around nutrition and was, was really struck mm-hmm. by your um, rapid recovery from MS, yeah. uh, seemingly uh, an insurmountable obstacle that you seem to overcome largely through diet and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And as I looked into neurodegenerative diseases, that seemed like quite a miracle. And so it's an absolute honor to be with you. And I would love it if you could just start from the beginning and share with folks a little bit about your journey, um, your diagnosis, and, um, and the system you use to overcome it. Sure. So I'm an academic internal medicine doc. Uh, and in 2000, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis on the basis of a history of um, a new problem with weakness in my left leg. Uh, and I uh, was referred, had evaluation, including MRIs of my brain, my spinal cord, uh, spinal tap. Uh, my docs went back in my medical record and saw that 13 years earlier it had a bout of dim vision in my left eye, um, which at the time nobody could really explain. Uh, so the diagnosis was made uh, that I had relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis, and that my first episode was probably optic neuritis 13 years earlier. I'd had... Uh, 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 the classic uh, diagnosis, two episodes separated by time and space, so 13 years, left leg, uh, left eye. Um, and I uh, decided to treat my disease aggressively. I wanted to see the very best people in the country, uh, so I, I sought out the Cleveland Clinic, saw uh, uh, their people, uh, took the newest drugs, and still within three years my disease had converted to uh, secondary progressive multiple sclerosis. Now, at that phase, there's no more spontaneous improvements. Uh, you could expect to uh, decline. Um, I took uh, mitoxantra in a form of chemotherapy. I continued to decline. I took uh, Tizabri, the new biologic drug that everybody was so excited about, and I continued to decline, uh, and then uh, took uh, Celsept. Uh, now, I'm going to go back just a little bit. My Cleveland Clinic doctors had mentioned the work of Lauren Cordain, uh, and he's a, a proponent of the paleo diet. So I read his books, I read his papers, 
and decided after a lot of meditation and prayer uh, to go back to eating meat because I'd been a vegetarian for 20 years. Um, but I had continued to decline. And the next year, I needed the wheelchair and uh, well, we had secondary progressive MS. Uh, but once I hit the wheelchair, I started um, realizing that you know the best conventional medicine was not going to stop this decline into potentially a bedridden life. Um, so I uh, go to PubMed.gov. I start doing uh, my own searches and reading, and would begin to uh, decide that uh, mitochondria were really key. So I was reading about MS and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and ALS um, and Huntington's disease. Can you pause for just a moment and clarify yes. for those that may not know what, a, what the mitochondria is? Oh, sure. Yeah. So mitochondria are the little um, sub-units in the cell that help us uh, manage the cellular energy more effectively, and it, it converts the food you and I eat to the cellular form of energy, ATP. There are cells we use to drive the uh, chemistry of life. Uh, and the mitochondria um, are, are, are critical in the brain, there are like 10,000 mitochondria per cell. So mitochondria are very, very um, uh, potent. If you don't have efficient mitochondria, your brain cells are going to struggle, which means you'll have uh, more fatigue, more pain, earlier time to die signals, and a shrinking brain and spinal cord. Mm -hmm. So even though nobody was talking about mitochondria as a, a factor with MS, I thought, well, you know, it's a factor for all these other shrinking brain diseases, mm. um, it might as well be for MS as well. So uh, then the next focus of my research was, well, what supplements can I take to support my mitochondria? And I eventually figure out uh, and I devise a, a, a supplement cocktail that does help my fatigue a little bit and that if I'm not taking it, I just am even more exhausted and even more non-functional. So I, I, I'm, and I'm very excited that I'm figuring stuff out that my physicians, my neurologists, my primary care doc don't know, and that gets me more jazzed about reading uh, the science. But, you know, I, I'm still declining. Uh, so by the summer of 2007... And these supplements you're taking, are these in pill form at this these, point? These are in pill form. Yep. You know, so it's uh, B-complex, creatine, carnitine, coenzyme Q. Mm -hmm. uh, and by the summer of 2007, uh, because I, I've, I've slowed my decline, but I'm still declining... So I can't sit up like you, are, you and I are now. I'm in a zero-gravity chair uh, where my knees are higher than my nose. Um, I have one at work, one at home. I can walk very short distances using two walking sticks. I have severe fatigue. I'm beginning to struggle with brain fog. My uh, chief of, But, I, you know, fortunately for me, the VA and, and the university have been redesigning my job multiple times so I can keep working. But that summer, my chief of staff says, you know, uh, I'm going to assign you to the traumatic brain injury clinic, and you'll start at the end of January. Um, there'll be no residents. You'll be seeing patients directly as part of a multidisciplinary team. And I know, and my spouse knows, there's no way I can do that job. That I just physically uh, won't be able to. So I, I'm like, okay, I, I'll finally have to take the medical disability. But that summer, I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine. They have a course on neuroprotection. I take that course, which, by the way, is sort of challenging in the midst of my brain fog, uh, but I, I get through that. I have a longer list of vitamins and supplements, a little deeper understanding of what I can do to help my mitochondria, um, and so I, I add those, uh, and I uh, uh, discover electrical stimulation of muscles, a technique that athletes have been using to uh, recover from injuries more quickly, and I get a physical therapist to let me add that to my 
uh, very simple little workouts that I've been doing all this time. Uh, and then I have a, you know, an, another really big aha moment. Like, instead of just relying on these supplements, I should figure out where these nutrients were in the food supply. So uh, more research. Um, uh, I, I try the university, uh, my registered dietitian friends, they don't really know. Uh, so I go to the University of Google, uh, <laughs> and I, uh, you know, get the various foods that would be great sources for these various nutrients that I'm taking. And uh, December 26th, I start this new way, a, a more highly structured paleo diet. Because, you know, I had uh, already taken out all grain, all legumes, all dairy, gone back to eating meat. I really hadn't had a big uh, difference. I'd added all these vitamins really hadn't added a big difference, although I could tell if I missed them, I certainly was more fatigued. But when I reorganized my diet, within a month, I could tell my energy was improving. Mm. My uh, mental clarity was improving. At three months, I was getting up out of the wheelchair and I was walking around the hospital with a cane. At uh, six months, I'm walking without a cane. Still a limp, but you know I'm walking uh, throughout the hospital without a cane. At nine months, I uh, get on my bike, and, I, and I'd been a, a, a big biker beforehand. It'd been six years since I'd been biking, um, and I bike around the block. Hmm. Uh, and I'd also tell you that um, that was a huge, huge moment because up until then, as part of coping with a progressive disease. You learn to just take each day as it comes, one day at a time. So I had, even though I was remarkably better, I was still taking each day, one day at a time. I didn't know what any of this stuff meant. But the day I got on that bike, the day that I biked around the block, I'm crying, my kids are crying, my spouse is crying, because that's when I really understood that who knew how much recovery might be possible, that uh, everything that I've been uh, taught and that conventional understanding about progressive MS being only downhill was wrong, that a new understanding would have to be made, that I didn't know, my physicians didn't know what might be possible. Uh, and I'd say that's the day hope came back. That's the day that I knew that I was going to be making history here, that uh, I was changing how I was practicing medicine. And, you know, I, I had been in the traumatic brain injury clinic, and to my surprise, and everyone else's surprise, I was able to do that clinic. <laughs> you know? And, and the other thing that was surprised, my, my partners were all saying, well, you've got a traumatic brain injury, there's nothing we can do, we'll just sort of watch, we'll treat your psychiatric problems and you'll recover to whatever degree you're going to recover. And I come in and I say, you know what, there's a lot we can do. I'm going to teach you how to eat to feed your brain. I'm going to teach you how to meditate. We're going to get you on an exercise program. I'm going to have you uh, work on your stress reduction practices. And you could tell who I saw because those folks stabilized. They weren't losing their jobs. They weren't losing their families. Their pain was going away. Their mental clarity was returning. And they weren't flunking out of school. Those folks were doing very well. Uh, uh, and so my uh, chief of medicine uh, was very impressed. He said, you know, Terry, this is so important. This is so remarkable. I'm giving you this clinical assignment. You're going to 
need to get a case report written up. Wow. Getting a case report written up on yourself, that's easy to do, but then getting it published, that's not so easy to do. Sure. Uh, but, you know, we kept at it, and I did get it published. And then my chief of medicine calls me back in and says, and now I need you to shift the focus of your research, and I need you to do a little tiny study and see if others with progressive MS... If, could they implement? Right. What could you, did? you duplicate what you would? Right. Because you could, could say yours, your case was maybe a miracle. It was a miracle. But but could it be replicated? Could it be replicated? So um, so I, I needed to get a little clinical trial going. He helped me get some senior scientists to help me with that. Uh, it meant that we had to uh, very precisely describe what it was that I'd done, so we could teach it, reproduce it, uh, and I it, it, there it was a complex process. It took me a year to get it all the way through. Uh, and then I would have to get funding. I'd have to get $100,000 worth of funding to do that. But, you know, I was able to. Uh, and uh, we got that funding going, got the little clinical trial going. And I was able to show that, yes, other people with progressive MS could implement this very complicated thing that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And that the biggest side effect was if you're overweight, you lost weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that the quality of life uh, improved statistically and clinical, clinically meaningful. Uh, it's really quite remarkable. And the uh, fatigue severity uh, declined in clinically and statistically significantly meaningful uh, degrees. Amazing. Uh, really quite amazing. This was, so just to bring kind of greater context for those, uh, for those watching, you showed video yesterday, I believe that was from the clinical trials you're mentioning, yeah, yeah. Of, uh, of an elderly uh, I presume woman, um, was, was focused pr- principally on the limbs because the limbs are affected by the neurological disorder. Yeah. But it was really quite miraculous because the woman, and you showed, you tracked over time on the video, went from being almost immobile, I mean, tiptoeing yeah. with, with serious Strongly. help and someone literally pushing a chair behind her because it looked like she could fall at any we're, moment. We're so, yeah. Yeah. So, so um, to, you know you know, the reveal, obviously, then she literally, and, and you obviously timed everything very, very, you know, a- analytical in terms of how much time it took her across her, but like from a layman's point of view, <laughs> literally, literally looked like, literally looked like she booked across the room. And yeah. so, so, you know, what your, what you demonstrated in yourself and in others is, is what would be considered miraculous. I mean, from my point of view, miraculous. Well, you know, it feels miraculous to me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get, uh, yeah, I mean, based on our conversation last yeah, night, that's yeah, the feeling I had. And, and as someone who, on a personal basis, is someone who, you know, uh, watches the person I love the most decline, those kinds of miracles are what you, you know, you pray for. And so, but what you, what you have derived, which... I can imagine for some who are very entrenched in the system might be considered sort of revolutionary, um, is actually really going back to the way that humans lived a very long, a long time, time ago. Yeah, yeah. Can, can you, for those, because this, this is a protocol, as I understand it, that's beneficial for anyone, whether they have neurological... You <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you, do, you do have to be living. But, uh, I mean... So one of the things that, that I that is again, and I'm coming from a non-medical background, but mm-hmm. the, that I was blown away by being here is, um, you know, a lot of this neurodegenerative disease onsets 30 years before you actually even know. So someone my age, it's very relevant to be thinking about these protocols because 
when I'm my dad's age, right now. it's happening now. Yeah. So, so, can so you, we can we can stop that. We can reverse it. Your brain can repair itself. Uh, and uh, the beauty uh, of what I what I've done in my uh, MS work yeah. uh, and the thousands of thousands of followers we have with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, mental health issues, PTSD, etc., is that uh, we teach them uh, first. Uh, how diet and lifestyle contribute to the health they have or don't have. Because they need to understand why they need to do this stuff. Because if you don't understand why, who's going to give up the foods and the lifestyle to which you and I are addicted? Right. Because, you know, bread is incredibly yummy. It's tasty. I made made bread for years. (laughs) I love pizza. It is lovely. Uh, And I've made cheese for years. I I grew up on a dairy farm. So I I love dairy. but understanding that for the genetically susceptible person, the proteins in grain, particularly gliadin, uh, which is a particular form of gluten in wheat, rye, barley, can be very irritating. Uh, and the proteins in dairy can likewise be very irritating and can cause the body to confuse, get confused, and begin attacking structures in the brain mm-hmm. because they're so irritated by those two proteins. Uh, so you got to give up those proteins. But remember, I told you I'd already given up all grain and all dairy, and I continued to go downhill. So that wasn't right. enough. So you got to get rid of the bad foods that are inflammatory. So for the for the layman out there, as a as a fun, foundational building block, right? If you whether you have neurodegenerative disease or not, if you want to decrease brain inflammation, which is which we don't have the pain receptors necessarily to feel, but it's happening right. based on our our consumption and lifestyle choices. If you want to prevent your likelihood of getting neurodegenerative disease, at the basis, eliminating wheat and dairy are helpful, helpful, very good good things to do. And then on top of that, you have a whole other thing, like a whole other protocol that took you back to health that could enhance everyone's health. Correct, correct. So you've got to get rid of the harmful foods. Those are what we call the excluded foods. But then your brain needs the building blocks from which to get the micronutrients, the phytonutrients, uh, to build brain structures and to run brain chemistry in helpful ways. Uh, and that is what I think was yeah, really why there's this remarkable transformation that the paleo diet couldn't do, but a highly structured paleo diet that I designed all around what my mitochondria need, what my brain cells need, uh, apparently did and did so in very short order. Uh, and, and in summary, it's like you get rid of the sugar, get rid of the white flour, get rid of the gluten, get rid of the dairy, and replace it with vegetables in a very specific makeup. Uh, so your brain has what it needs, and, and your mitochondria have what they want. So it's green leafy vegetables, you know, kale, uh, Swiss chard, uh, spinach, uh, deep green leafy vegetables, cooked or raw, so you can make smoothies, you can make bacon and greens, uh, which, by the way, my kids' favorite vegetables, bacon and greens. Uh, then the next category that I focus in on are the uh, sulfur-rich, but it's a particular uh, group within that, the cabbage family and onion family vegetables, uh, because those two foods, by the way, have a long, long history of medicinal use, mm-hmm. and they are very rich in sulfur, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, stimulate the enzymes involved in biotransformation. That is the stuff that processes the junk, the uh, toxins, the pollutions that we have, because we're in a very chemical-rich environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a lot of foreign chemicals that our body has to process and dump out. 
And if we can't process that and dump that out, we store it in our fat. Our brain is 70% fat, so we store a lot of these very inflammatory, damaging chemicals in our brain. So the uh, cabbage family, onion family, greatly facilitate dumping, sort of cleaning that cleaning house, getting that trash out. Uh, they're also very important uh, in uh, making something called intracellular glutathione. That's a very potent uh, antioxidant for the cell, uh, and they help the brain make a bunch of very important neurotransmitters that are very calming. Um, so great, great stuff. Uh, and then I also recommend mushrooms. Mushrooms um, help prime the uh, natural killer cells, a particular type of immune cell that protects against uh, some of the s slow infections like uh, Lyme's disease, mm -hmm. like uh, Climidophila, um, like Bartonella, uh, like EBV virus. So, uh, these slow infections that can look a lot like um, MS that we think are a factor in things like uh, early dementias mm -hmm. uh, and can uh, cause a lot of neurodegenerative problems. I've seen even uh, Paul Stamets did, I think, a TED Talk around uh, bioremediation, actually using mushrooms in, in places, taking soil that, that, that was unable to grow anything, and they tried a, a multitude of different agents, and it was actually the fungi, the mushrooms, that brought it back to being plantable soil. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, the, the fungi are, are very, very helpful. Mm. So, so I, I encourage people to include uh, mushrooms in their diet. Uh, and there's also some very interesting studies that a particular type of mushroom called the lion's mane yeah. uh, in animal studies has been shown to increase the production of uh, these special hormones in the brain, the nerve growth factors that tell the brain to repair and rebuild itself. Mm. So great reasons to eat cabbage family, onion family, mushroom vegetables. And then there's a third category that I call uh, colored. Uh, and I'm really very, very simple. You, you take uh, the food item, cut it in half, uh, and then look. Uh, so if it's white in the middle, uh, then that's really not colored because it's pigment that has all these. Um, it's a great marker for antioxidants. So even color all the way through. So well, I want to. So plums would be would okay. you know. So they're black on the outside, sort of orangey on the inside. Uh, that's colored. Peaches, apricots, uh, lemons, limes, beets, uh, peppers, uh, carrots, uh, uh, berries. So all of those things are colored. Uh, and so I want people to have a variety of colors. I also uh, let them know that there's some great research, particularly in the pigments in the blue, purple, black category, uh, in, in quite a number of studies, have been associated with if you give, and these are in randomized controlled studies, they're using uh, blueberry powder, and they show that if you get the blueberry powder, your thinking is better. There's less memory problems. Uh, and we're not talking huge amounts, a cup of blueberries. So it's certainly very achievable. So in, in general, you're, you're a gentleman, I'm a tall lady, you and I should be having nine cups of vegetables, three cups of greens, three cups of the sulfur-rich category, cabbage, onion, mushroom family three cups of deeply uh, pigmented. Uh, and a dinner plate covered all the way so you can't see the bottom, sort of heaped up, that's three cups. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so three full dinner plates through the course of a day. Through the course of a day. Which you can also, because for some who might be intimidated by that, you also mentioned you could that can be soups as well or smoothies. Like you can, correct, you correct. can blend. Yeah. It, it, and that's measured raw. Mm -hmm. So if you cook that stuff, it's going to be much smaller. Right. Um, so uh, this is not as hard. 
and I, in general, I remind people, if you're taking away the sugar and the processed foods, the, the grain-based, flour-based foods, and you're replacing them with vegetables, you'll be hungry. Uh, the nine cups will generally not be hard. If you're a very petite lady or a very, very petite guy, then maybe you know six cups uh, is the right amount for you. Uh, we need you to have uh, sufficient protein. Uh, and for people who are vegetarian or vegan for their spiritual beliefs, yes, we do work with them on how to do that safely. Uh, but I, I do encourage the consumption of meat because you have complete protein. I, I, I'm very um, encouraging for the consumption of organ meat, uh, which, in my, which uh, societies would have identified as a superfood because it, it's such a great source of essential fats, uh, of uh, well-absorbed minerals, fat-soluble vitamins, uh, water-soluble vitamins. And this and the organ meat you said in, indicated yesterday, which I just make note of. That's actually crucial that that aspect is organic, right? You want because that to be... in in the context, obviously, for most people, some of you know one of the barriers to entering, especially as we talk about the population at large, at times can be cost. But so yeah. there are areas in which you know maybe you could you could sure. you could get a conventional. But in the in the context of organ meat, especially, you say yeah, it should be organic. That. Yeah, you know, and most people don't realize that organ meat is the best food for us. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, since society doesn't know that, organ, even organic organ meat is usually very, very, very expensive. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and you just need that once or twice a week. And that's about preparation because, I mean, at least for me, I mean, I know I grew up eating liverwurst. I can't, can't remember what it tastes like, yeah. but I remember I grew up it with it. Um, and uh, the, the idea, I was vegetarian for 19 years until a doctor actually told me that I should uh, reintroduce meat into my diet based on my blood type, O negative. Um, but... There are you have a cookbook basically that yeah. breaks down how many of these foods can be prepared in a way that actually is really palatable. I mean, you talked sure, about, for sure. example, wait you feed your kids, you make it into a pate, cover guacamole. I mean, that, that sounded like I would I would get it. And on guacamole, it. some hot sauce. I put that on a kale leaf or a collard leaf, roll it up, and they think it's really quite delicious. They love serving it to their friends who also think it's delicious, and they're like, "Oh my god, I just ate liver! You gotta be kidding!" Me. <laughs> That's probably the only way I could approach it. If someone presented to me raw liver, I would probably be. Uh, no, thank you, right. but that that. But and that's because it often had been overcooked, dry, cardboard, really terrible. Mm. Uh, so you want to have your liver uh, medium rare or rare. Uh, and you had that once a week organ meat, right? Is that? It's all. Don't have it twice a week. Twice a week, okay. Yeah, um, it, and that uh, also reminds me that affordability. Mm. Uh, you know, for years I ran a therapeutic lifestyle uh, clinic uh, at the VA, mm. uh, and those patients didn't have money. Yeah, they were on disability. They weren't living on food stamps. Uh, and so I really worked at, okay, how do we make this affordable for them? Uh, so we, we talked a lot about uh, what is your food budget, uh, everything that goes in your mouth, your energy drinks, your uh, fast food, your restaurant meals, uh, your coffees, uh, your alcohol, your tobacco, and your grocery bill. Uh, and then we teach them how to make a menu, uh, how to have, uh, 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 make a shopping list how to plan for leftovers, how to eliminate food waste. Uh, So uh, I I would say we were really very consistently able to show people how to implement these concepts and save money at the same time. See, that's powerful to me because I think one of the main critiques, not necessarily of the diet that we're speaking of, but in general of this sort of health organic movement is – it, well, that's great, but if I'm a, if I'm a mom, you and I are from the Midwest, you're Iowa, I'm, oh, I'm yeah. from Chicago. You know, most people, you know, they, they can't follow a, uh, you know, a California. We'll, 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 we'll generalize as a California uber organic, expensive diet. 
And so how do we take these principles to the masses, right? Which it sounds right, like right. you've attended to. I mean, my dad uh, is a veteran, and uh, it's, it's a major concern for me because he's now in a daycare facility, and I'm, I'm interested in what kind of food is he, is he consuming. Sure. Um, and as you said, one of the interesting things is I've done, because I did work around issues of extreme poverty, and also look deeply into the food stamp context. And it's amazing to me that actually things like soda, are able to be purchased with food stamps, whereas many of the healthy and organic produce, and there's actually a ban around ordering things online. A friend of mine has actually yeah. created something called Thrive Market, where you can order these things yeah. at about half the price, oftentimes, online, but he's fighting to get it so that you can use food stamps, so that it's accessible yeah, to these people. So if, if there's any resources, and we can link it up if you, if you, if you know of any, that, 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 can, um, that can help people well, who may not have the same amount of means uh, in terms of how they strategize if they have a big family or whatnot sure. would be great. So, so some of the things that, that uh, I stress to people is you don't have to worry about being organic, wild, or grass-fed in the beginning. Mm. But you do have to get rid of the foods that are harming you yeah. and start eating vegetables. And if what you need to eat are conventional canned vegetables, that's what you do. Yeah. And you drink the juice. You just don't pour the juice down the drain because that has a lot of the vitamins in it. So you, you have your vegetables. Um, and then as you begin to figure things out, you can move to uh, frozen foods. You can move to fresh foods that are in season. You can look for uh, farmer's markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can look for community-sponsored uh, agriculture. Yeah. Uh, you can look for community things. gardens. Uh, many communities have the opportunity where uh, an individual can rent a garden spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ron Finley actually here in L.A. got it so that the city yes. turned over all, all vacant lots to be able to be cultivated. And, and more and more communities, in fact, are doing that, that. Uh, taking their, herb, their, their empty city lots mm-hmm. and converting them to urban agriculture and community gardens. Uh, so that's very helpful. Uh, and here in the Midwest, we have many, many uh, communities that have uh, a deer problem, so they have controlled hunts and frozen venison mm-hmm. for anyone who wants it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, in Iowa and Illinois, often people can get as much venison as they want to have. Uh, so uh, getting organic meat, wild-caught meat, it's not as hard as, it, as you might think. Yeah. Now, another trick that my uh, patients taught me is if you go to a farmer's market and you walk around and you go up to the farmer and say, Okay, at the end of the market, what's the best price you could give me for, for whatever's left? Mm-hmm. And people were able to discover that often they could get uh, vegetables very inexpensively, and sometimes even organic vegetables very, very inexpensively at the very end of the farmer's market. Yeah, that's so a pro thought, tip. That's a brilliant, <laughs> that was just like so brilliant. Yeah. Uh, in the, well, what I observed is as people's uh, health improved, yeah, and they appreciated and saw the connection between the, the food that they ate and the health that they had, they began to figure out, even on their food stamps, how to improve the quality of their diet. Uh, and uh, you know they, they would uh, uh, learn from the Environmental Working Group, uh, the Clean 15, the Dirty Dozen, how to prioritize. Uh, they would learn how to uh, uh, utilize their farmer's market. Uh, and so... By the time they'd worked with me for a year, they uh, had often converted, even on their food stamps, to an organic diet. Hmm. Amazing. So, so you have to see the link. You have to see that it's val- valuable. And then if, you, if you're in these group classes, they would learn from other more seasoned participants who could explain to them uh, some of their strategies. Hmm. Uh, and people very consistently uh, were able to figure out how to get their diet 
to a higher and higher quality as time went on. So really it's about eliminating a lot of the, the foods that don't serve us, the processed foods, which are oftentimes, unfortunately, the cheap foods, especially in some it, it, of them. It's how to exclude the foods that don't serve us yeah. and how to plan to eliminate food waste. Yeah. Because 40% of the food Americans buy is thrown away. Uh, and so if we plan to eliminate uh, food waste, we have menus, uh, we, we, we plan, we plan to use leftovers, and, you know, if you, if you get radishes, the... You know, get the radishes with the tops. The tops are really quite delicious. They make lovely smoothies or uh, lovely cooked greens, and you have uh, have the roots. Um, uh, uh, cauliflower, uh, you don't throw away the core. I just grate the whole thing, leaves, uh, head, and core, and make cauliflower rice. Uh, broccoli, you have the the flowering part, and then there's the stem or leaves. People throw away. We don't. We never throw that away. We grate it and make uh, broccoli rice. Uh, so. And we have cooking classes to teach people how to cook with zero food waste. I love it. Um, so that, that goes a long way. So it's even almost in principle going back to a lot of the, 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 the values that were privileged by, I would say, original peoples, indigenous communities, where, where every part of an animal was used, for example. You know, and, and growing up on the farm, you know, we were very humble farmers. We uh, did not, we never got to throw away anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, we had we uh, lived with zero waste growing as well. That's powerful. So so okay. So just make sure it sort of uh, sum up. So you said three servings of colored vegetables, sulfuric vegetables, deep dark leafy greens. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Um, organ meat. Yeah. And then is there other elements or tenants you know, to the program? I, I, I like to have people uh, begin to add some seaweed into their diet. Mm-hmm. And I also like them to begin uh, fermenting some of their food. You know, and ideally, you're going to have uh, cooked vegetables, raw vegetables, and fermented vegetables. Fermenting is good, really good for the gut, right? It's the really microbiome. good for the gut, yeah. yeah. And now we, we uh, adjust this, of course, and individualize it, you know, uh, based on the person's medical issues, their uh, medications that they might be taking, uh, do they have a history of inflammatory bowel disease. So we, we certainly still have to personalize it to the individual but for as a public health policy these are great concepts Mm. great great concepts so if you could distill this down like if i were to kind of bring it back to the notion of so if if i were if i were looking at if you were to say what are the five greatest things and the protocol obviously is being one of them but for 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 an for an everyday person who's looking at life and is is thinking about approaching, for example, yeah. the protocol, what would be sort of the the first few steps you would recommend for them to go down as being sure. most impactful, especially as it relates to brain health? Uh, get rid of the sugar. Yeah. Um, get rid of the white flour. Okay. Uh, and eat more vegetables. Okay, those are the three. Those are the three. <laughs> you know, and I'm and I'm not that fond of gluten free products. We we have. There are things that are naturally gluten-free, right. like vegetables. They're naturally gluten-free. Right. <laughs> but, you know, and, and these uh, paleo desserts, gluten-free desserts, gluten-free breads, etc. they're very yummy, they're very tasty, they're very delicious, and they're filled with sugar and white flour and stuff that's bad for us. Um, so, yes, that's less inflammatory than gluten-containing grain, but vegetables are what I'd really rather people eat. So, What about the concept of... And this this exists in certain communities, but the concept of a cheat day is that something you you think is total malarkey? You well, subscribe to like better to do six good days and fine if, if one's got to go, or well, how do you? 
Uh, so it sort of depends that? on your on your goals. Yeah. If we look statistically across many many studies, the more vegetables you eat, the lower your risk of all cause uh, mortality, uh, less dementia, less heart disease, less mental health problems, less obesity, less diabetes. So absolutely, having more vegetables uh, will have great impact. Mm. However, if you have an immune reaction to those foods that you've excluded, the uh, grains, uh, the dairy, it takes 21 days to cut that immune reaction by half. 21 days? 21 days. Three weeks to cut your so, immune reaction so that, from one sheet. From one sheet. Wow. So that's why for people to work with me, uh, my challenge is to, to get to come see me, you need to commit to 100 days at 100%, and when you're ready to make that commitment, I'll work with you. Mm. If you're still thinking about it, you can work with our dietitian, and she'll help you increase your vegetable intake. But when you're ready to do the whole thing for 100 days, come on over, and then, then I'll work with you. What have you seen as a result for people who have committed, right? Because I think, yeah. and this is one of the distinctions we talked about a bit yesterday, which I think is so fundamental, right? At a conference like this, you're inundated, in my view, uh, with, with some of the tip of the spear thought leadership in regards yeah. to cognition, the brain, the gut, you know, the gut-brain connection, um, diet, etc. Um, which for me, my interest is how can we translate this for the masses? Um, but one of the things that you and I spoke of is it's one thing to know something. It's an entirely different thing to apply it. Yeah, and, yeah. and the distinction between sort of, you know, knowing and, and then, and also the mindset and, and you, you drew a distinction that you're, you're committed and one of the biggest breakthroughs for you, if I may, as I understood it was, Deciding that you would work with people who are 100% committed to mm-hmm. to moving forward, and 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 you know, to be frank, it sounds like the 100 days of, of that type of diet would require. I mean, f- at least for for my uh, many of my relatives in the Midwest, that would be a significant undertaking. Yeah, that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, what have you? No. What kind of results have you seen with those who are that committed? Well, I, I want to back up a little bit. So, Please. So, uh, when people would hear about us, and when we do the introduction uh, lecture. You know, I tell my story, talk about uh, uh, diet, lifestyle, and how the impact on health, so they understand the rationale of why. Mm. Then we would give uh, our prospective patients three choices. One is say, you know what, this is not the right time. I can't take this on. They go back to their usual medical team. Mm. Uh, another option is say, well, I'm interested, but I can't commit to 100%. They can work with our dietitian to improve the quality of the diet at the pace they're ready to do it. And then the third group is they're all in 100% for 100 days. Um, it's sort of like, you know, you can't be a little pregnant. You're either pregnant mm-hmm. or you're not. You're in, in. You're in or you're out. Or you're, or you're, or you're when you want to go slowly, you can work with the dietitian. So we, we give them some options. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the people who are all in, things we see in the first 100 days, blood pressures are coming down. If you have high blood pressure, blood sugars are coming down. If you have high blood sugar, pain scores are coming down. And so the medication needs for, you know, high blood pressure, diabetes, and pain are changing. And many of my general report, something's going up that hasn't been going up in a long time. So these guys, and in the VA, now after that, I'm not there now, but while I was there, I had many, many young men from the war who, men in their 20s with erectile dysfunction. Hmm. You know, um, what is that about? And, and that has, has to do with a very toxic environment, toxic lifestyle. And when we got them to clean up their diet and lifestyle, to their delight, you know, not only was their pain going down, their love life uh, and their family life was greatly improving. 
and likewise, many of our young women were having issues with uh, you know, a lot of pelvic pain, uh, uh, fertility issues, uh, lack of libido, and those things would improve for them as well. Uh, and people could see that very quickly, certainly uh, before the 100 days were over. It's not that all of their problems were gone, but they could tell that instead of things getting worse and worse and worse and worse, they could see that things were improving and hope for you know, coming back into their lives. Uh, so, uh, and you're, at the end of the 100 days, you know, people were all in. They were happy to continue. Yeah. I love that. I, you mentioned also um, the fact that you work with uh, veterans, which I, which I love. Uh, my dad's a veteran. My grandfather's a veteran. One of the things um, that you mentioned was exposure to that, that pesticides actually, I, I believe it was originated during the wars and then were, and then were genetically yeah. or, or biologically yeah. modified yeah. to become some of the pesticides that are used today. Is that correct? Uh, so or am so I... um, what I was referring to during World War I, World War II, uh, uh, chemical agents were part of uh, the military processes. Yeah. And after World War II, uh, those agents and many of those scientists came to the U.S. and helped develop uh, the chemical industry. Got uh, it. Pesticides, insecticides. Were, so these nerve agents, which were very toxic to us, were modified to be toxic uh, to the insects. So it's not surprising that many of them continue to have toxicities to our mitochondria, to our brain, uh, and your uh, exposure to these insecticides, pesticides, uh, increase your risk of Parkinson's, of Alzheimer's, of ALS, of multiple sclerosis. Uh, and it, there's also greater appreciation that uh, basically you know, heavy metals, plastics, arsenic, uh, lead, mercury, uh, likewise do the same. PCBs, uh, uh, phthalates, BPA, uh, also are associated with those same neurodegenerative processes. Is there anything that you can recommend um vis-a-vis the environmental toxicity. I mean, I imagine the vegetables help help oh, to process yeah. that through your body, but follow, anything... Follow the Wallace Protocol. I designed, <laughs> I designed the program uh, specifically to boost the detoxification enzyme pathways. Okay, because that's something that's of huge concern for me. Uh, you know, and I know it's actually interesting. Uh, I was speaking to a gentleman yesterday who uh, is about to start some functional medicine clinics in China, and there obviously yeah. there's been a huge saturation in some of them, uh, Shanghai, etc. That the environmental toxicity, and they're actually in some ways leading the charge uh, you know, on the environmental adaptation of things like solar, etc. Um, but he was saying that the mercury exposure, etc., is elevated, and so it just it brought to bear. For me, thinking about okay, how much if we if yeah. we're exposed to mercury or these other so things, how you, how do we deal with it? So you burn coal, yeah, emits mercury, mm-hmm. uh, and so it enters the atmosphere, comes across the Pacific, rains down the west coast, and then you can see in the U.S. where we have our mercury uh, coal plants, our coal plants which emit a lot of mercury. Again, there's mercury in the environment there as well. Yeah, uh, vice versa, and we're doing that, and it's hitting other countries yeah. as well. So uh, what can we do? Yeah, you know, the Walsh Protocol, uh, uh, which is designed to improve your detox pathways. Mm. Uh, that's certainly clearly step number one. Yes. So, okay, so so following the protocol in terms of the, the internal cleansing will have noticeable benefits as well in terms of helpful. environmental exposure. You know, and, and this is, you have to have a long view. This is a two- to four-year 
process to clean everything up. And your results, just to bring this back, what you experienced with yourself and then what you've seen, I, I can't speak to all the clinical trials, but what struck me and what I remembered, and I've watched a lot of talks, but what, what, yeah. what struck me was seeing you wheelchair-bound. Um, mm -hmm. Unable to sit up. Yeah, unable to sit up, nearly immobile. And then I remember the... And I can't remember exactly how long it had been, but it's it, I, my recollection was a year later. Yeah, uh, 12 months later, on the bike. <laughs> on the bike. And I was like, uh, hey, God, and then I have a strong, very strong connection to horses. And then I saw you riding a horse, I think, another year later. So One two year year, later, yeah. yeah two so years two years down the, down the road. So to go from to go from not even be able to sit up with a progressive degenerative disease like MS, which as I understood was an irreparable... Yeah, once you hit the progressive phase, there is no... Uh, uh, expectation that functions once lost would come back. Wow. So you single-handedly disprove that within yourself? I disprove that in myself, and now we have clinical studies showing that yeah, not only did it work for me, you know, we have prospective studies that's worked for others with progressive MS. And the videos, which you saw, yeah. uh, to back it up. Uh, are there any other resources, um, and I totally, uh, I, I'm excited to yes. uh, to delve deeply into the cookbook and to start applying some of these changes yeah. in my own life. Are there any other resources, like if you were to say, sort of the top five resources for health? Because one of the things I thought was interesting is when you and I spoke, you also brought in some of the mindset pieces, right? For example, in yeah. your in your slides, uh, you have a quote from Viktor Frankl, who's one of my heroes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, can yeah. you talk a little bit about how you approach, like your holistic view of health and some of the tenets therein? So, uh, you know, I, I think uh, the resilience factors are uh, incredibly important. Mm. Uh, what is the meaning uh, of your illness experience? What is your personal mission statement? Uh, as I was getting steadily uh, more and more ill, uh, it caused me to sort of reflect on, okay, so what is the most important thing for me? And uh, the most important thing was uh, helping my children become emotionally and economically successful adults. Mm. Uh, and so... That was your why. What, what, what could I do? I, I had as presumed, because I, I was an athlete before becoming a physician, that I would teach my kids to be really strong by kayaking and mountain climbing and and doing martial arts and, and, you know, doing Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts. And, yeah, you know, I wasn't going to be the one teaching them that stuff. But I could still teach them resilience by going to work every day and letting them know that, yep, uh, life wasn't fair, uh, but I was going to go to work every day and they were going to have meaningful chores to help run the household. And um, I kept having to reimagine what I could do, what my family life could be like. Uh, but I could always still be a role model of, yes, life may be difficult, but you still go on and do the best you can. Hmm. Uh, so that was uh, very important. Uh, I, I talked to our patients about uh, the pleasant life, the good life, the meaningful life. Yeah, can you break that down? Because I thought yeah. that was very valuable. So the pleasant life has to do with, okay, what, what can I enjoy right now in my current state of health? So as I was getting more and more disabled, one of the things that I could still enjoy was reading to my kids. Um, my uh, help my kids memorize the lines to the play when they got into the into their uh, children's theater program. Uh, the good life. Um, I enjoyed gardening. Well, I couldn't do gardening uh, as as well, but I could go with Jackie and she'd take me out in my wheelchair and I could help her pick out the flowers that she was going to plant, and I could sit out there in the garden and help her design the garden. Uh, and so the good life is using the skills that are unique to you, my enjoyment of gardening, uh, and knowledge of plants, 
to work with Jackie as she designed our gardens. Uh, the meaningful life. Well, you know, my kids were, uh, and I was going steadily downhill. It's like, okay, I can still teach my kids how to be economically and emotionally successful. Uh, and then, uh, uh, fortunately for me, one of my uh, colleagues invited me to write a case for medical students uh, about being diagnosed with MS, which I did, and, and that was pretty interesting. But rather than do the usual thing, which is give a lecture about the pathophysiology of the disease that you just described, uh, I decided that I would do a lecture from the heart, and I talked about what it was like to go through the evaluation, be diagnosed with a progressive illness, and then get progressively more and more ill and have to reimagine life uh, as a progressively more disabled individual. My chief of staff at the time said, you know, this is totally crazy theory, you can't do that. It's like taking your clothes off in front of the medical students. Do not do this. Uh, but I did it anyway because that spoke to me. Hmm. Uh, and it meant that I had, I really think that was a, a key part of my healing was that was the moment where I took a meaningful life outside the family because now I'm giving back to the medical community by helping these young physicians become more effective uh, physicians. I love that. So if I could distill some of those principles, it's, it sounds like purpose is actually at the core of, uh, for, the core. of health. Um, and you found purpose and meaning in, in being resilient and demonstrating that for your children. And the thing I think is really important is yeah. I had uh, purpose and meaning when there was no hope of recovery, anticipated I was going to become bedridden, demented, possibly suffering from intractable pain, but my life still had meaning. Uh, and I talk about that uh, uh, with the medical students, that uh, they'll take care of patients who are clearly going to die from their illness, but the, their, Ill, they, their lives still have meaning. And the more we can help our patients, our, our, our friends, and our family understand that your life still has meaning. Huh. It will always have meaning. Uh, and we need to pay attention and find, find that meaning and, and hold it. Huh. And, and when you have that, then it becomes a whole lot easier to be willing to do the work to get your health back. Wow. Yeah, I think of a few things. One, I think of the last lecture and, and also Tuesdays with Morian as relief in terms of how being confronted with your sort of imminent demise or, or being on the verge of death lends itself to perspective into the great true clarity. meaning of life. And it, it lets you um, reconnect with yeah. friends and family to realize, like, you know, being pissed at my brother because, you know, he got to do sports and I didn't. Eh, that's not worth being pissed at. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely not worth holding on to. Yeah. So, so, so resilience. What would be what would be a few other tenets to health? So, purpose, resilience. Obviously, it sounds like diet, lifestyle. Obviously, are at your core, diet, your protocol. Diet and lifestyle. Um, I, I talk about stress, uh, and I remind people that that we need stress. Without stress, my bones dissolve. Mm. Without stress, my muscles are replaced by fat. Without the stress of learning new stuff my brain shrinks. Hmm. So stress is vital, but in order to maintain and repair my body, I need relaxation. Mm. Uh, and there are many ways to relax. Uh, so we, we talk about what are the stress-reducing practices that you might enjoy. Hmm. You know, hunting, fishing, gardening. Uh, meditation would meditation, fall Mindfulness, um, Epsom salts bath, mm-hmm. um, uh, journaling, painting, drawing music, uh, tai chi, yoga. So there, there are many, many things. Uh, but if we don't have that relaxation phase, you can never, you aren't 
repairing and maintaining your cells and your brain. And, you know, if you quit repairing and maintaining your car, it's not going to run for very long. And people are like, ah, okay, I get that. That makes sense. And I think that's, that's a critical piece. Um, if you tell someone to do something and they don't understand why, of course they're not going to do it. Mm. But if they get the, aha, okay, that makes sense, then they will begin to figure out how to, how to implement those concepts in their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then uh, the next thing uh, that's really important is movement. Yeah. That uh, you, you want to move. Um, and I, I remind people that uh, one of the things that, that I've done uh, that was very effective and I, I'm pleased that I had done that. Uh, as an athlete, I knew if I didn't move, I'd become disabled much more quickly. So, in fact, I exercised every day. Uh, but the summer of 2007, because uh, I, I, I'm so ill, I'm so debilitated, I can exercise 10 minutes. Hmm. If I exercise 12, I cannot function. I just noticed, I think we just ran out of uh, the conversation been going so good. I think we just ran out on that one. So you know what? I'm just going to quickly shift this right here while we finish up. Okay. Yeah. That's why we have a bad gun. backup. <laughs> Good man. Yeah. Okay. Okay, keep going. So, so basically exercise. So exercise, but you have to be careful that you're exercising within your capabilities. If you overtrain, mm-hmm. it's very damaging. How do you draw the distinction between, uh, how do you know when you're overtraining? If you can't do it again tomorrow. Got it. So if I'm doing exercise and I feel good and I want to do it again tomorrow, then that was fine. But if I did whatever it was that I did and I could not repeat it tomorrow, I've done too much. Or if I exercise, you know, so for me, uh, as I was recovering, uh, I could tell if I exercised too much, I I couldn't work, I couldn't function, I had to be flat on my back for a day and a half. Hmm. Uh, For people who are less ill, if you're overtraining, you can't function uh, the next day or you can't repeat uh, an athletic event the next day. Hmm. So it might be you can just do a minute of exercise, or maybe you can do 10 minutes of exercise, or maybe you can do half an hour of exercise, or you go to CrossFit, you do three hours, and and you have chronic pain. Well, you're, you're probably overtrained. <laughs> you may have gone a little too hard. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so you just really have to fine-tune, given your circumstances, what is that level that you can sustain. Okay. Move, so movement, resilience, purpose, diet, lifestyle. Stress reduction. Stress reduction. And then, and then the other thing is sleep. Mm. Uh, when, when we sleep... Uh, that so many different opinions about sleep. Is there a particular pr- amount of time that you should definitely be sleeping? Do some people well, need so, less, some people need more? Right. There, of course, there's always some individual variation there. But sleep is when you're in make hormones. Sleep is when we do a lot of detoxification. Sleep is when your brain does a lot of clearance. Uh, takes the trash out, so to takes speak. Takes the trash out. Yeah. And so if you're not getting enough sleep, you're compromising all of that maintenance and repair function. Mm. If you're sleeping too much, it's probably an indication of some major uh, depression and hormonal problems. Mm. Um, for years, I thought, you know, four hours of sleep was enough. Like, okay, that's not such a good idea. <laughs> uh, so somewhere between seven and nine is a better number. Okay. Um, it, and my advice is uh, try to be sure that you're getting good quality sleep. Uh, have a consistent sleep practice when you go to bed, when you get up, uh, sleep in dark, get bright lights, uh, go outside, get some sunlight, at least 10 minutes, preferably half an hour every day. Uh, that will go a long way to improving the quality of your sleep. Mm. I'm going to take this a little bit in a different direction. 
what would be the one piece or two pieces of advice if you were to impart the most valuable wisdom that you had for your children? What would be the what would be the one or two things you you would share with them in terms of 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 pieces of wisdom you've garnered in this lifetime that you would well, hope that they know? Um, well, my kids, uh, I'd be very concerned that they share my genetic vulnerability to gluten and dairy. So I'd hope that they would stay away from those foods uh, and that they would eat lots and lots of vegetables. Mm. I love that. <laughs> because that basically gives them the building blocks to open up to all other possibilities, ostensibly. Correct, correct, correct. So, uh, you know, eating uh, food, the best quality food, because they want to have the best quality body, the best quality brain that they can build. And so, you know, if you get this most wonderful sports car, you aren't going to put in uh, sugar in the engine. Mm-hmm. You're going to get, you know, good, high-quality fuel. Uh, and so their body is that wonderful sports car. Right. And so they want to put in the best quality fuel that they could afford. Why is it, I mean, the notion, ostensibly what you're saying is food is medicine. Food is medicine. As, as you break it down. It, it, and, uh, you know, I want to add one more thing. Please. Uh, to my yeah. kids. Know how to cook. <laughs> yeah. Cook, veg, you know, cook at home. Uh, if you keep going out to eat, uh, the quality of your diet is going to uh, diminish. Uh, you'll have less health, and you'll have um, less economic stability. So I think one of the most important things we as parents need to do is see to it our kids are very effective cooks, that they're comfortable and confident uh, in knowing how to prepare their own food. Mm. I like that. I, I hadn't really thought about the virtue of cooking. But I, after, oh, our convers- after our conversation yesterday, and thinking also, frankly, Looking on the menu because I was I was I, I, while we were eating together I was thinking to myself well I don't I don't want to be uh, you know I'm not going to order a big uh, something with gluten or dairy yeah. you know so and our our meal was delicious but I was thinking to myself it would be challenging you had kind of already been there several times so you knew we were going to the right place but the virtue of cooking is you have total control over the ingredients control. you know where everything came from right and, and I mean it really is it's so important that parents teach their kids how to cook mm. because if those kids don't know how to cook and they begin just relying on packaged foods, on fast food, they are um, setting their kids up for much higher rates of dementia, uh, high blood pressure, obesity, diabetes, uh, cancers, mental health problems, autoimmune problems. But if the kids know how to cook, they're they're, uh, improving their nutrition, they're saving a lot of money, and they're making a much more attractive spouse. <laughs> I like that. It's the new teacher, teacher man to fish. Yeah. Teach your children to cook. Yes, no, I, I like think that. that's very important. I love that. Um, just a couple last questions. Yeah. Um, before they do, I want to honor you, actually, uh, Dr. Wallace, because I haven't known you a long time, but my experience of you is unequivocally committed to bringing a mission to the world that has profound benefit. Uh, and it's, it's a bringing back to the, the simpleness of our connection to nature and the possibilities that are, are within us if we put the, right, put the right elements and fuels into our bodies. So to me, you're a, you're a stand in a, war, in a world increasingly moving away from that closeness to nature and, and moving more towards processing things and buying things to fix and, and going down that, that rabbit hole, you're a stand for um, what is possible for all of us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in, its simple, in its simplest form, you're a stand for what's possible when you're unequivocally committed to health. 
and and, and I, I to me I you know I just honor I honor the fact that what you've done is is truly historic in terms of your what you did in, in your own your own journey and I know you're humble and you're from the Midwest and I totally get it because it's my it's my family and this may even be uncomfortable but for me um, again there's many things I'm in inquiry around and I'm just yeah. I'm learning but but I remember your talk was one of the ones that stood out to me and I've watched so many talks so clearly because you went and did something that was seemingly impossible and you didn't stop there you use that as an impetus to educate others as a stand, and I, I just honor you for that. You know, um, in 2007, it was so clear my the future ahead of me uh, was going to become bedridden, uh, I was probably going to become demented. I had MS related pain that was getting harder and harder to control. Uh, and I, I had come to terms with that, uh, but of course, I, I had the extraordinary good fortune to uh, discover and create this uh, diet and lifestyle program to get my health back. Uh, and I, I just feel this moral obligation to let the world know that if I can come back from as desperately ill and as seriously disabled as I was to you know, being able to bike 20 miles with my family, uh, travel the world uh, teaching, write books, write research grants, run uh, research programs, if I can come back using diet and lifestyle, there's a very good possibility, whatever their health challenge is, that we could stabilize it, reduce their symptoms, reduce their need for medications, and quite possibly regress their disease, uh, get them to have healthier and healthier uh, bodies with less and less need of medication, and perhaps get them back on their bike and get them back enjoying their life fully once again. Yeah. Uh, I... Uh... I hear that, and I hope that everyone has an opportunity to take their life on to the next level. Where can people find you in terms of, uh, where do you live online? Which sure, web, sure. Yeah. So terrywalls.com, yep. that's T-E-R-R-Y, walls, W-A-H-L-S.com. Okay. You know, and, and what we've done, so I, I've, I've written books to get this information out there uh, for, for people to make it widely available. Uh, we have created more online programs to make it possible to get more support because it is challenging to implement everything that I talked about. Uh, I have an in-person seminar where people can come spend three or four days with me and learn about all this stuff, learn what's new in the latest science, what, our, what research we're up to. Um, we have a program now where we train other clinicians. Mm. Um, so we have other health professionals that have been trained in the WALS protocol. And so I have resources and links uh, to those individuals as well. Great. We're, we're creating that up. an epidemic of health. That's <laughs> like, my mission. I like that. I like that because I was – I mentioned – I believe I mentioned to you or it may have been Dr. Perlmutter. Part of what's led me down this wormhole was, you know, I was working on issues affecting the extreme poor and working to raise yeah. leverage, um, you know, with Global Citizen or pre-Global Citizen where we're a Global Poverty Project working on polio campaigns. And, and within when my father, my father was almost like it's like the canary in the coal mine, seeing his dementia diagnosis. And then I started doing research, and I saw, you know, half the Chinese population is pre-diabetic. Now it doesn't mean that they definitely will get diabetes, but you know, right now the U.S. and China, at least as my, my when I last looked, it's about you know 11 percent of the population. But given the way things are going, if if, if there isn't a radical oh, change, it's, 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 it's a global pandemic. It, 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 it's <laughs> It's catastrophic. Yeah. Uh, it will have huge economic suffering, yeah. uh, huge uh, uh, health suffering. Uh, 
and the healthcare system can't fix this. Right. Um, the government can't fix this. The Chinese government can't fix it. The American government can't fix it. Our our health insurance industry can't fix it. Our employers can't fix it. But we can fix it uh, because of the power of social media, because it's so easy for people to publish my experience uh, and your experience if you, you know, adapt these dietary principles and it has some impact in your life, whatever that is, for you to be able to tell your neighbors, tell your friends, put it out on Twitter, put it on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever the newest technology <laughs> is, that spreads that information. You know, and I think that's why um, there's so much information about uh, dietary and lifestyle approaches to health because yeah. the public is realizing physicians, we, we can't make people well. Mm. We, can, we can treat symptoms, sort of, but we can't create health. The only way to create health is through the individual choices that we make every day with what we eat, what we do, uh, and those are the choices that create the health we have. So actually, I am incredibly optimistic. I could not have made my discoveries to repair my health without the Internet. Mm. But the Internet made it possible for me, for my TED Talk to get that information out to 3 million people. Uh, it made it possible for, uh, for me to get my book contract, write the book, uh, and influence then the MS Society uh, when they saw how uh, that book influenced the social media world uh, and drive uh, uh, their awareness of diet and lifestyle in MS, which then allowed for me to get my research funded, uh, which fuels the attention uh, of my work and work uh, that you know Mark Hyman has, David Perlmutter, uh, Dale Bredesen's uh, work will become more and more known. And so I'm incredibly optimistic. Yeah. This uh, epidemic of health will happen. Uh, and the people, who, you know, it, there's going to be some big social challenges here because the people who don't get it are going to die sooner. They will die younger. Um, and, uh, you know, the various governments will decide how much help they're going to give the folks who have chronic disease. And I, and I don't know what help will be, but the folks who, who understand health is up to us, to our choices. Uh, in that they can make cho uh, choices that allow them to reclaim their health. So I, I see this. I see the epidemic of health happening. Mm. It will happen. It so will happen here and around the globe. So you, as a physician, are ostensibly calling for radical self-reliance, radical, radical self-responsibility, self yes. res responsibility. Basically, taking your health in your own own hands, not not without the uh, uh, guidance uh, and uh, authority and, and knowledge and research of your doctor, but, but basically, but, but, yeah. but, but, not, but not abdicating your power. Because it, it is true, I think well, for many of us, when we walk into an, uh, and the doctor is one of the few places, at least from my experience, and I, I'm lucky to have a, a wonderful doctor, but oftentimes you just kind of, you go in and you, you just kind of surrender it because you're... Right, that's you're, learned helplessness. It's terribly destructive. We should not be doing any of that right. stuff. And I had done that for several years. I, I went to the best MS docs. I gave them all my control. Yeah. That was learned helplessness. When I started you know, reading the, the uh, literature experiment myself, I'm taking some of my power back. And of course, ultimately, I, I create a diet and lifestyle program. And I, re I finally realized, you know, health is up to me. It's not up, not up to my doc. Um, it, you know, it does give me, uh, I have a lot more respect for uh, my, uh, the more conservative point of view that says personal responsibility is everything. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think, I think they're right. For health, personal responsibility is everything. And we need to be more forthright. If you want to become well, it's not your doctor's job. It is your job. 
your doctor may control, help you control symptoms for a bit, but if you won't get into your responsibility of doing everything you can with diet and lifestyle, knowing full well that, yes, it is hard when you're on food stamps, and there are things that we can do to make that easier for you, uh, but in the end, um, it will be those folks who figure that stuff out that will thrive, get their health back, and do well. Are there any uh, kind of final resources you recommend? Obviously, um, go check out your website. Are there any other, is there a, a book or a website? I mean, this idea of functional medicine is new for most folks. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you recommend that, pe- that can empower people to take their health to the next level? So, you know, certainly uh, reading uh, my book, going to my website, uh, that'll be very helpful. Uh, you can go to the Institute for Functional Medicine. Uh, there's uh, a bunch of resources there. Uh, in terms of what is functional medicine, uh, that can be helpful. Yeah. I would go uh, look at uh, gardening resources, mm-hmm. learn how to garden if you can. Yeah. I would look for a community for resources to learn how to uh, begin cooking. If you don't know how to do that, it's so important to learn how to cook again. Uh, so I would certainly look in your community for that. Uh, I would look in your community for uh, what are the farmer's markets, uh, so you can get access to that. And look in your community for uh, what are the or- uh, the uh, uh, resources for creating more social connection because mm. uh, loneliness uh, is also uh, very very deadly so I, I want people to get connected uh, uh, to friends family and to their community yeah I just I saw, I saw again the Harvard longitudinal study that was I think one of its kind over 75 years and they said that the one now this was around happiness but the single greatest um factor in one's happiness is their social the, the right. vitality of their social the connections social connections is yeah. very helpful so powerful well I'm so grateful to you um, Terry Walls uh, Dr. Terry Walls it's been an honor thank and you. a privilege thank you thank, thank you. you so much we're going we're gonna to create that epidemic of health together uh, I'm looking forward to it let's okay. do it right. <laughs> thank you so much that was cool yeah I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed it And there you have it. I absolutely loved my interview with Dr. Terry Walls. I hope you did too. She has so much insight that she shares and such a powerful story of personal transformation. Uh, It really moved and motivated me. I hope it did you as well. Um, Please go ahead and register for Broken Brain. Um, She's going to be featured in that series, and it's chock full of wonderful information. Uh, I'll put the hyperlink in the show notes. Um, you can also uh, get the hyperlink on my Instagram, at Michael Trainer. Please go ahead and tag uh, Dr. Terry Walls and tag myself uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and share the insights that you garnered from the episode. I so value the Peak Mind community and love all of your comments. They mean the world to me, and I respond. I do my best to respond to them all. So please go ahead and share. If you liked the episode, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, Your subscription rating and reviews helps us move up in the algorithm and gets this information out there far and wide. So I greatly appreciate it. If you could subscribe, rate, review, Uh, please go ahead and tag myself at Michael Trainer and at Terry Walls and let us know what you uh, garnered from the episode, what wisdom you're taking with you. And with that, I'm wishing you all the best. Please do go register for Broken Brain, the series, link below. And uh, with all the information you're getting from the community, I hope you can go off there and live your inspired life.